Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time as we continue to worship in our generosity. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. We believe in giving in the tithes. We believe in bringing in offerings for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ across the globe. And we believe in giving in alms. I want you to know because of your faithfulness, even in this last week, we were able to shelter 185 different bed nights at our warming centers. Come on, that's exciting. Somebody get excited about that. Yesterday on the streets of Portland, there were approximately 100 that were fed, that were loved on, and that were many were prayed for. Come on, that's something to get excited about. And I will tell you also that a week ago, Friday night, we had our outreach dinner, and I want you to know it was a great crowd. In December, we had over 120, a little bit reduced this month, or this, I guess, a week ago, but we were able to feed so many mouths, and so we're very, very excited. God is on the move. Thank you for your generosity. Let's pray and ask God to bless as we bring the tithes, the alms, and the offerings in. Father, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. And that as your children, Lord, we are learning that character of generosity. And Lord, we want it to grow in our lives in a greater measure. That, Lord, we would look beyond our own needs and look to the needs of others around us. That we would honor you in bringing in the first fruits of our increase. And so, Lord, will you receive these gifts? Will you multiply them? May you bless. And, Lord, may we see as a result of the generosity of your people lives being transformed by the goodness of God and by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said a hearty amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well. It's good to be in God's house. We have, um, we have a couple of announcements. One of them is critical. The 2018 giving statements are available in the foyer uh, or in our uh, foyer area after service this morning. So I want to encourage you to stop by there. Uh, that helps us because some of the addresses we have are not current, and uh, some of you don't have your addresses in the system, so it uh, makes it a little easier if everybody just pops up there. Susan Day will be up there. Susan, can you wave your hand there? There you go. And uh, stop by, see Susan. She'll make sure you get that. Then we also, we're in the midst of our 40 days of prayer and fasting. You have that on your, on your seats in front of you. I wanted to make one note in relationship to our 40 days of prayer and fasting. First of all, we believe that everybody can participate in some measure. First of all, we believe that everybody can pray. Can I get an amen? amen. See, you almost just prayed. You got the tagline at the end, amen. We're practicing right now, it's great. And we can fast. We can fast a meal. We could fast a day. We could fast a series of days. Maybe you would not make it a food fast. Maybe you would just fast some television. Maybe you would fast driving fast on the freeway. That'd be like a slow. <laughs> but that you would set aside something to where you would be freer to seek the Lord and to see the Lord and hear from the Lord and that we would agree and pray together. One of the things that we listed that we're praying about is our HCF Happy Valley Campus. That's right here. We are Hillside right here. We're asking you to pray for our eldership so that we would hear clearly. Hear clearly if there are next steps in relationship to Sunnyside Elementary School, Gladstone Campus, and what that might look like. 
you know that for 14 years we were at Sunnyside Elementary School. That's our home base. That's the school that we've adopted. We've semi-adopted this school as well, and we pray for the school district. But that's our school. And so there's a heartbeat to be back there for many of us. Now that we have a facility in Gladstone, there's a heartbeat for being in Gladstone. And our heart is we want to hear from the Lord and simply walk in that, that we would obey. Can I get a strong amen? amen. In the natural, there, there is some real realities. It seems to make sense on paperwork to move this church over to Gladstone because there would be a savings, if you will. But I want to remind all of us, at the end of the day, there is a way that seems right to a man. But if we're not walking in the Lord's footsteps, that will lead to some level of death. And we don't want to do that. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So what always or what seems natural on paper may not, in fact, be what the Spirit of God is saying. So our heartbeat is we simply want to hear from the Lord. Can I get an amen? And when we do, we want to simply obey. Amen? Amen. Amen. So pray with us in that regard. Then I want to make mention also we are all about life. Can I get an amen on that one? And we believe that life begins at conception because the Word of God reveals that to us. And so we are recognizing Pregnancy Resource Centers, we have partnered with them, and we are hoping and believing God to save lives, one baby at a time. And change can change a life. That's their cliche. And I said, I said I'm going to say that. You were supposed to get excited about change changing a life. This is like a little bank, and there are baby bottles up in the foyer. Up in, up in that uh, area where the information table is, there's baby bottles like this, and you can put your spare green dollars in here, your spare green tens. I mean, you can open up your wallet, turn to page 100, pull it out, and put it in there. <laughs> However you choose to do it, it could be your spare change, but will you fill these bottles, and there is a day coming up in May where we're gonna be receiving the bottles back. If you fill your bottle once, pour it into something else and begin to fill again. Amen? Amen, and we wanna be a strong support and help save lives in Jesus' name. Okay. And that being said, uh, next Sunday, I know, have you heard, this is for you, Matt Jordan, have you heard, the Rams are going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> so we have a Super Bowl party next Saturday at our Damascus, next Sunday at our Damascus campus. So if you'd like to be a part of that, there's details inside your program, and we would love for you to be a part of that. All right. Those things being said, Let's dive into the Word of God this morning. We are in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 43 through 54. John chapter 4. We have uh, navigated Jesus migrating, if you will, from Jerusalem through the region of Judea by way of Samaria, making his way now into Galilee. It's interesting that in Jerusalem, they didn't receive his words. 
They weren't very excited about what he did. You remember he went into the temple and overturned tables and did a number of things. They weren't very excited about that. But I want you to know something. Some folks were pretty excited about it. In fact, it seemed like whenever there's a kind of a rebellious and a righteous kind of way, and it seems to come up against leadership, people that are like maybe somewhat disappointed with leadership, they can get excited too. And they like jump on the bandwagon like, man, it was kind of an exciting time at the Passover this year, wasn't it? I mean, remember that guy down in the temple who was flipping tables over and throwing money on the ground? And that got kind of exciting. And so the people were like enamored with what he did, not necessarily what he said. He makes his way into Samaria and he does no miracles. But what he does do is he speaks the truth. And in the process of speaking the truth, these Samaritans that are completely alienated from Jews, most rabbis would not have even set foot on their soil, let alone stay a night there. And here Jesus stays the night there, and he's spoken to this woman at the well. She's gone back and told all of the town, hey, come and meet a man who told me everything. Is this not the Christ? I mean, when we read it sometimes in our English version, it sounds like she's saying, could this be the Christ? I mean, could it be the one? No, she's making a declaration. Is this not the Christ? And so they came out, and they heard, and they urged him, stay. And so he stayed. And how marvelous that they responded, we now believe, not because of what you said, your testimony, but because we have heard what he has said. And they believed. And so the Samaritans seemingly an unlikely group, receives his word and believes his word. And now he's making his way to Galilee in which he had intended to go to from the very onset, but passing through Samaria on his way. So John's gospel has taken us on this mini journey and it's centered around believing. John chapter four, believing his word, believing his word. And so It's interesting because he's going to make a statement in just a few moments. A prophet in his hometown is without honor. Or in his own town, he is without honor. And the question I have for us this morning, and this is the overriding question. This is where we're going, and we'll we'll get there. But here's the question. What obstacles in our lives hinder us from believing his words and so honoring him? What obstacles are in our lives that could hinder us from believing his words and so honoring him? So we pick up in verse 43. Verse 43, this narrative continues. It began in chapter 4, verses 1, where he says he's on his way from Judea into Galilee, but he went by way of Samaria. Verses 4 through 42 is that whole Samaritan woman at the well. So we come to 43 and the narrative begins again. And it says, now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. It's interesting, and I would say there's a sermon in the sermon, so I'm gonna give you another sermon title. The sermon title would be Evangelism, and I would call it the basic model, the basic method, and the basic multiplier. And it really is Jesus going from Jerusalem to Judea, through Judea to Samaria, from Samaria to Galilee, or the ends of the world. And that is the Acts 1-8 model. His method, he's speaking to individuals. 
He spoke to Nicodemus. He comes to the woman at the well. We're going to see that he's going to be talking to a nobleman from Galilee in Capernaum. And so he's one-on-one. And that's a model for you and I. We have the opportunity to follow Jesus' example, to follow that simple model of what's our immediate family, our Jerusalem, what's our kind of our neighborhood, our, our realm of influence, if you will. That's our Judea. Our Samaria might be those folks that we might not otherwise connect with, perhaps up to and including our enemies, and then under the ends of the earth that we would be involved in the Great Commission. So he makes his way to Galilee. Verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. It says that he testified Now, the text here isn't saying that Jesus on his way from Samaria into Galilee was talking to the brothers and saying, hey, yeah, and by the way, it's in his hometown that a prophet is without honor. No, he's he's reminding them of this reality. And so it's, for us, illustrative of the context and what we're talking about. And what we're talking about is prophets without honor in their own town. And Jesus is coming to his hometown. He had a lot of fame in Jerusalem. And now, for whatever reason, he's led by the Spirit of God and he goes to Galilee. And he's going to a place where he knows because it's happened already before. In fact, interestingly enough, if we would read the account, you can read it in Mark chapter 6. In fact, I think I have a slide there, Uh, Sam. If you pull the slide up, there's a couple of locations where this is found. But it's in Mark chapter 6. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 13, and it's in Luke's account in Luke chapter 4 that we get the fullness of what happened to him and why he makes the statement in his own town, he is without honor. But what I, before we go there, I, I just want to remind us that the prophets of God, that the prophets of God were bringing a message to the people from God. They were the words of God. And the history of the people, the history of the Jews, the history of Israel is they didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't obey the words of God. And so that's encapsulated in this word honor. When the word is not honored, it means it's unbelieved and it's not followed. There's no obedience to it. So when Jesus is saying only in his hometown is a prophet without honor, his words are not received as the words of God, and they're not believed as the words of God, and therefore they're not obeyed as the words of God. And we're going to look at today how that might reflect us. Let's read Luke's account, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. I think it's on the screen, but you can turn in your Bibles there. It says, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. He chose a section in the scripture that was messianic, 
This is speaking of Messiah, the declaration of the year of the Lord's favor, the opening of the eyes of the blind. It says, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's he saying? He's saying, I am Messiah. Now, he says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words. So this is like a new teaching, and this is marvelous. And he said other things, and they marveled at what was coming out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph, son? And they said to him, doubtless, he said to them, doubtless you will quote this proverb to me, or to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And then he says, they would say, we have heard you did what you what we have heard that you have done in Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. Kind of that hometown card. I'm going to play the card. Hey, you did it there. Do it here. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But I tell you, I, I, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum the Syrian. So now he's explaining, because of your unbelief, in the days of the famine, in the days where there was no rain, there were many widows in Israel, but the prophet Elijah was sent to none of them. He rather was sent to Zarephath, to a town where there was a widow, and God sent there. And then he says, in relationship to the second scenario, the prophet Elisha, where there were many lepers, but no, God didn't heal those lepers. He sent to the Syrian, Nahum, and healed Nahum. And the people are like, Hey, man, what are you saying to us? This is a rebuke, and they recognize it. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. Now think about it. He's telling them that this scripture is fulfilled. I'm Messiah. He's marveling them with words, and then he gets to the crux of it, but you don't believe any of these words, and you haven't for a long time. You've not believed the word of God for a long time, and so you have even killed prophets, and so. So they tried to kill him. That's his first encounter in Nazareth his hometown, where he's discovered that the prophet has no honor. And so passing through their midst, he went his way. The scripture reminds us in Matthew. In Matthew 13, or excuse me, in Luke. In Matthew 13, it says this, and coming to his own town, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom 
So they were baffled by his wisdom, and they said, where did he get these mighty works? So he's done works in their midst. Mark chapter 4 says, and he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you think that would be a mighty work? Right? I mean, sick people being healed. That's no small potatoes. But in God's perspective, that's like a small potato. And so he heals some. So in his hometown, the people are astonished, yes, by his wisdom, but they're mostly astonished by his works, what he did. So the context is, we like what you do for us. We don't necessarily like what you say to us. And I wonder sometimes if the church today is in that same boat. We like, God, what you'll do for us. In fact, we'll make long lists and we have expectations, but we don't necessarily like all of the things that you say to us because it brings responsibility into our lives. For instance, if they recognized that he was Messiah, it meant change in their lives. Something was gonna be different. He was going to be calling us to a higher kind of living. And so, this is the context. We like what you do. We don't like what you say. So verse 45 says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. Now this is, this is complex. He just said, a prophet is without honor, and yet when he comes to Galilee, they receive him. But they receive him because of what they have seen that he did. And he stirred it up. And he healed some people. And he did some things that were beneficial. So it's interesting to me. Receiving Jesus for what he can do for us as far as external things, but not honoring Jesus for who he is in us. It's difficult. What you do, not who you are. So here's the question again. What obstacles in our lives hinder us from believing his words and so honoring Jesus? Let's navigate through the rest of the text. Verse 46 says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made water, wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, if you, if you knew we're in the middle of Galilee, if this was Galilee, Cana is like right in the middle. And Capernaum is up here above a large body of water. And so a nobleman heard that Jesus was making his way and he's come to Cana. And Cana is elevated over 300 feet high. And this man is going to make a, I think it's about 17-mile journey. Very likely he was on foot. He's a nobleman. He could have had a horse. If he was on horse, probably took him four and a half hours to get there. If he's on foot, probably took him two days. I mean, he could make the travel in one day, but it would be excruciating in the heat of the day. And so, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 
Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. So here's a man who's a nobleman. Now, this is noteworthy because nobleman means that he is related to those who are in leadership. He's connected to Herod, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas, his father is Herod the Great. Herod the Great is Idumean. Idumean is a descendant of Esau. He's Esauian, if you will. He's Idumean. And his wife, Herod the Great's wife, is Samaritan. So Herod Antipas is half Samaritan, half Esau line. And it's an interesting encounter because now he's begging Jesus, a descendant of Jacob. And we have this connection again with two sons that go back in time. Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac. Esau, the firstborn, is now serving the younger. And we find this Edomian coming and begging, come and heal my son. It's an interesting contrast. We won't focus on it, but to me, I find it fascinating. But here's the thing. Needs bring all people to the same level. It does not matter how wealthy you are, the position that you have. When your son or daughter is at the point of death, it will level the playing field, and this man is in absolute desperation. He hears that Jesus has made his way to Cana. He mounts his horse, or he puts on his tennis shoes, And he makes his way with haste to Cana. If possible, there's a man there who might change my scenario. The man sought for him to come down. It's interesting that he asked Jesus to come to the town so that he could see even this process. A Gentile of Gentiles, if you will, and... He says, come. Jesus addresses the group. It's interesting. He's speaking to the man, but he's speaking to the crowd because there's a crowd there. We don't know the size of the crowd, but he speaks in plurality. You people, you people, unless you see miracles, you will by no way, by no means believe. And so it's a bit of a test. Maybe you're here today and you feel that your faith is being tested I want to encourage you to believe the words of the Lord. Believe what is written in God's word. His promises are in him, yes, and in him, amen. They are worthy. We can stand on the word of God. So believe the word of the Lord. Believe the word of the Lord. Verse 49, the nobleman said, Sir, come down before my child dies. So now he's getting indignant. You see the exclamation point at the end. Come down, sir, come down now before my child dies. If you read it in the King James or the authorized version, it says, or less or ere my son dies. If you don't come, he dies. I'm away from my son because you're it. This is it. You don't come, he dies. Come. Jesus says to him, go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. And it's an exclamation point. Your son lives. 
This is, if we could just wrap ourselves around the humanity that's happening here. Maybe you're here today and you have family members that are ill to the point of death and you know and you're desperate. Oh, God. And good news from afar. Your son lives. He's immediate. When did my son, when did the circumstances change? What was the hour? Inquiring of them of the hour when he got better and they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. This would make me think that the man was on foot. He was beginning his travels. He stopped. He got up in the morning and continued his travel. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. Jesus had a conversation with an individual. Jesus demonstrated who he was and his power. And the man believed. Then he got the word that what Jesus said he did, he did. And it says the man believed. And then it says, and his whole household. What's not written there is the man had to have told the story. He testified. That's the multiplier. When we testify what Jesus does, people want to come to Jesus. People come to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, your story matters. What Jesus is doing in your life today, tell people what Jesus is doing. It's exciting. It's exciting. So often we're looking at the things that he's not doing rather than looking at the things that he is doing. When we begin to talk about the things that Jesus is doing in our lives, it's contagious. People want, man, I want what you have. Well, what I have is Jesus. And his whole household believes. And then the scripture gives us, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So let's come back to a prophet has no honor in his own country. A prophet having no honor in his own country. No respect, people not believing, people not heeding the words. The question I ask is why? Why? Why is it that people don't honor? I think our text might reveal a little bit that perhaps you and I might actually be able to relate to. And if we relate to it, it may cloud even our vision of who Jesus is and cloud our willingness to follow or obey and honor his words. So I think the first we'll look at is a sense of pride. And I say this because we all kind of have an ego impulse, an ego impulse. Uh, it's like a pride of association. And I, I mean, I know because I see it so clearly in my own life. I mean, I just see it so clearly. And it's in like the dumbest and most natural things that we do and take it up to the scales of spirituality. It's like there for sure. This ego impulse. How is this going to somehow make me look better? So here's like an example. Say you're at work and someone, you, you know, it's break time and you're in the break room and somebody's talking about, oh, hey, did you hear what happened in, uh, say, you know, Tampa, Florida? Yeah, I, I, saw it, I, I saw it in the news or blah, blah, blah. And then someone says, oh, I know someone who was there. 
and it kind of raises the stature, like, oh, I should be listening to your story a little bit more because, I mean, you knew someone who was there. And then it was like, well, I actually was in Tampa, and I heard all about it, and now, now it's just raised the bar a little bit more, and then someone else, boom, boom, boom. I, I remember the shooting uh, that happened at Clackamas Town Center. That was my community. People, like my sister calls on the phone. <laughs> that was right here. And then someone says, well, I was at the promenade when it happened. It's like, how does, that, how does that improve your situation, right? I mean, like, how do you all of a sudden know more? Well, you were closer. And so, like, it's more important. Then someone says, I was at the mall. Well, where were you? Well, I mean, I was at the bus station out in front, you know, at the, at, 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 uh, uh, the Mac station. You, know? so, well, you were at the Mac. Hey, I know someone who was in J.C. Penney's. Did you hear the gunshot? No, then they didn't hear the gunshot, but I mean, they were there. And then it's like, oh, I, saw, I know someone who was at Foot Locker, and they heard the gunshots. What? And it's like, oh, gotta, now that person's important, right? Now I heard. And then someone says, I was in the food court. And then it's like, that's, it's like a bigger deal. Do, do you, are you following me? And we do this sometimes. Like, we'll, we'll read something in social media, and we'll, oh, you know, oh, something political. We hear something political, and that's like, well, i got to get on Facebook first before anybody else does, you know. And then, like, somehow I knew first. <laughs> and I have more information. And somehow it's an ego impulse. Oh, you, you know, spiritually, oh, yeah. Oh, I love that worship song. That's a great worship song. Yeah. I was at the concert of the person who wrote the song. <laughs> you were at the concert. Yeah, have you seen my Facebook post? And it's like, it's esteemed. And we raise the bar. And so these hometown folk are like, yeah, Jesus, man. He was the dude in the temple that was flipping tables, and that was so cool. You could just imagine. And they're like, yeah, you know, he, he comes from Nazareth. Uh, here's a, I, I know in my own situation, I, I'm telling stories, right? You, you're telling stories, and I'm embellishing a story. Anybody here ever embellish a story? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? guy asked me my story. We're at this conference and he asked me my story. I said, well, you know, I started telling the story about my wife and, and my, how we met and all this. And I said, you know, I was playing football in Oregon. I didn't say Portland State. I said in Oregon. Because there's two big schools in Oregon. And then there's like Portland State. So if I just say Oregon, they might make the association. And then, you know, oh, are you a duck? <sighs> no. <laughs> Are you a beaver? No. <laughs> well, what are you? I'm just a Viking. <laughs> you know, it just diminishes it. And I'm like, we try and do that, and we make our story big. And oh, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I had a really good senior year, you know. I was talking to the NFL. Ooh. As if, right? But leading. Oh, so you played in the NFL? Well, no. <laughs> and we do, we embellish things to somehow raise the stature because it boosts our egos. And I think we can identify that the hometown Galileans, we want you here and do more stuff here. Like what you did in Capernaum, will you do here? Because the more stuff you do raises the bar because I'm a Galilean and I'm from Galilee. Oh, you're from the town of Jesus. Yeah, in fact, I saw Jesus one time. He was walking in the crowd. Did you see him do any miracles? Well, have you heard what Jesus did? I mean, it was, and we just shift 
bait and switch. And it's all about self. Self. And it hinders our ability to hear who Jesus really is and to see who Jesus really is. Because after all, the universe does revolve around me. Or in your case, you. And if you identify with this in any measure, it's the flesh. And it profits nothing. Zero. And yet it hinders our ability to see the grace and the love and the power of Jesus. Am I like the only one in the room that has the ego impulse? I need you to raise your hand and say, yeah, okay. All right, good. Yes, we're in the same boat. Hey, and we need to put that stuff to death and make it more about Jesus. Because after all, your life can't change anyone's. His can. People, if they're attracted to Jesus because of you and your personality, then that's what's going to keep them. But if they're attracted by the truth and the grace and the power of God, that will keep them. And that's what we need. So, the sense of pride. The second is the sense of entitlement. Anybody here have a sense of entitlement? If you're a millennial, will you stand? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hey, it's my generation too. We have entitlement. And if you don't think that you have entitlement, just Consider, ask your spouse if your spouse is here, you're married. Ask about your freeway experience when someone comes into your lane. Your lane. <laughs> Come on, that's, that's what I'm talking about. We feel like we own and it's in our entitlement. So when the car that's decided that he needs to get over one lane and that's our lane, and then we see the bl- they speed up a little bit and we see the blinker, what do we do? That's my space. <laughs> We, we let them in. <laughs> That's not happening in my lane <laughs> or in my car. It's entitlement. And it's the simplest things. The simplest things. Even Stephen's stuff. Last night, <clears throat> I broke my... <sighs> so my family, you know, we doing a little diet thing. I, st- I started the diet three weeks ago. Never mind. I, uh, <laughs> I was going to try and say something funny. I started a diet, and I, uh, it's been going for 21 days, and I lost three weeks. So, uh, but <laughs> we, we found a box in the freezer of pizza rolls. <laughs> I thought I might even hear an amen or something. <laughs> Little pizza rolls. And so my wife says, do you guys want those? And we're like, uh, duh. <laughs> so she puts them on the tray. And so, you know, John brings in these bowls after they've cooked, and he's got a bowl, and I got a bowl. What's the first thing I do? What, what do you think I did when I saw the bowl handed to me? <laughs> if only Pastor Dave was so spiritual that he prayed. No, I looked at his bowl to see if it was even Stephen. It's already time. I knew it was going to happen this way. So here's the deal. So here's the deal. Then I said, when he got up to get seconds and I still had a couple in my bowl, I said, are there any left? He said, yeah, there's about 20 on the tray. And they goes, nope, it's 18. I counted them. He goes, he brings them in. He says, count out nine. 
But the idea is entitlement. We have a sense of entitlement. And these folks, they have an entitlement. They're saying things. Look, you're from our town. What you've done in Capernaum, you should be doing here because this is your hometown, bro. And sometimes we think because, oh, I pray so hard, or Jesus, I fasted so many days, or I decided to give all my money, or I started tithing at 10%, and now I need you to take care of my debt load. And we begin to think, oh, you have to do this because. And it clouds our vision of who Jesus really is. It's not anything we've done. We don't deserve anything. Anything. You can't earn more of God's favor. You can't earn more of his promises. You can't earn more of his blessings. I can't. You guys can start playing because that'll get me to finish. (laughs) We can't. We already have it. We have all of God's love. We have all of his spiritual blessings and we have all of his promises and they are in him, yes, and they are in him, amen. We, we are nothing in the equation and if we come to Jesus that way, anything Jesus does is just his grace and we can worship him for that grace and that love and not have that expectation. Finally, I would just say it this way, there's a sense of familiarity. Is this not the carpenter's son? Are not his brothers and sisters here? Is it not his mother Mary? I think sometimes we bring Jesus into too familiar of a place. And we think, well, because he's one of us, he can't do that for me. And we minimize his power. And I want to suggest to you He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things were created by him and all things are sustained by his word. And he can do anything and everything he chooses to by his grace in your life and in my life and in our circumstances. He's able and he's willing. He's willing and he's able. Will we come to him and believe? I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet this morning. If your vision of who Jesus is is foggy, as Mike shared before we began our service. If the fog has been there this week and you need the fog to clear, maybe it's one of these items that I've shared. Maybe it's the familiarity piece. Maybe it's the entitlement piece. Maybe it's this uh, ego impulse piece where we, our pride just has confused things. But your vision of who Jesus is is somehow clouded or hindered and you've not believed the written word of God you've not believed that his promises are yes and in him and amen in him and therefore you're not standing on the promises in fact your prayer life has been modified you don't pray very much because you've not seen God move in the past and you're like thinking somehow it's something about you it's not and you just say this morning I want that cleared up I want want a clear, crystal clear vision of who Jesus is. His love for me. Here's the thing. The miracle that he heals the child, he spoke the word. That man was undeserving. And it wasn't even the man's faith. It wasn't the child's faith. We don't even know, we don't don't know anything about either one of them other than the guy was a, a nobleman. A descendant of Esau. I mean, and there's grace. Jesus says, man, go your way. Your son lives. Your son lives. The miracle demonstrates and reveals to us who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. 
He's loving. He's gracious. He's not a respecter of persons. Can I get an amen there? It's not about you and me. It's about him and who he is. He's timeless and spaceless. He didn't have to be in Capernaum. He simply said, your son as well, go. And the man returns and on the way, they get word. When? About the hour that Jesus spoke it. Listen, one word from Jesus. One word from Jesus can change your world. Can change your world. He's powerful. He's all powerful. He's personal. He spoke to the man. He saw the desperation in the heart of the man. He said, go your way, man. Your child lives. He's personal. He produces faith. He produces hope. And he simply gives life. He is a life-giving God. He loves you. He loves me. We're going to sing this song as a benediction. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. There's a prayer up on the board. Will you bring that prayer up on the board? Sam, this is the prayer. Lord, help me overcome my sense of self-importance, my pride, my ego impulses, also my sense of entitlements and my sense of familiarity. And help me to see Jesus clear and believe and honor his word through obedience. Amen. That's, that's my prayer. We're going to close with this song, but let's pray. Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you for the understanding and this John chapter 4, this mini journey that it is not about us, it's about Jesus and who Jesus is. He is the prophet. He is Messiah and his words are faith worthy. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Lord, may we believe your word. May Lord, where it brings instruction in our lives, may we simply obey and follow hard after Jesus, to walk like Jesus walked. So Lord, will you empower us and equip us? Holy Spirit, come fill us fresh. And if there's been any in this room whose vision of Jesus has been clouded because of self, Lord, we just acknowledge that before you and we say, God, will you help us to be crucified? Will you help us to put to death the deeds of the flesh that we might see Jesus and fall deeper in love with him? Deeper in love with him for who he is that we wouldn't have these hometown attitudes of pride or entitlement or familiarity, but that we would see you for who you are. You are Messiah, King, and you are able and willing, and you love us, full of grace and truth. God, we love you and we praise you. Mike, let's sing this and you can lead us out. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is he. song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing Praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you.
Blessed week, everyone. If you wouldn't mind uh, helping us uh, put, put back the chairs and uh, fellowship, take your time.